Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Why Did Jesus Call Us Disciples? And it is part of the Don't Just Be a Christian Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. All right, we're getting into a new series, and I always love getting into new series. I always hate closing out series, and I feel like uh, um, something bad's happening, and I have to let go of a series. But I always enjoy introducing new, and it feels kind of like bringing out your new baby and showing everybody there's my new baby. And so uh, we're talking about, uh, in this series, we're talking about being a, a Christian. And, and we're calling it, Don't Just Be a Christian. Now I'm going to explain to you, I think in a few minutes you'll understand why we're calling it that. Today's message is entitled, Why Did Jesus Call Us Disciples? Now, we, had, uh, we did something a couple of years ago called the Reveal Study, and some of you were here for that. And the Reveal Study was... Uh, uh, a study that came out of Willow Creek in Chicago where uh, Bill Hybels discovered that his, his congregation, although they had come to faith in Christ, they weren't growing. They weren't growing in their faith. And they weren't growing in Bible engagement. They weren't growing in lifestyle. And uh, some, some were starting to complain. We keep coming here to church and we're just kind of here how to accept Jesus and how to accept Jesus and how many times can you accept Jesus? We, we, want, we want to know more. So uh, the Reveal study is what they did, developed, and now it's been taken over by a group called the Navigators that John Wiersma actually works with. And so we did this study. It kind of revealed to us uh, where we were as a congregation in terms of Bible engagement, uh, commitment to Christ, following Christ, and many other areas. And so we, we brought in the... Uh, the uh, one of the staff members from Navigators who ha- is part of a church in Brooklyn and a friend of John Wiersma's. And he came in and he talked to a group of us that were on staff about what the study revealed about our church. And he told a little story about preaching on discipleship at his church. And a lady came up to him and asked him afterward, he said, you know, Pastor, uh, do I have to be a disciple? I just want to be a Christian. <laughs> and another pastor uh, that I read about related a more nuanced conversation where uh, he also preached on discipleship and a, a lady, uh, it was, I don't know if it was a lady or a man, but an individual came to him afterwards and said, uh, just blunt, pastor, I don't want to be a disciple. I just want to be a Christian. I, she said, or they said, I like my life the way it is. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'll be with him when I die. Why do I have to be a disciple? <laughs> so where and when was there this, this divergence between being a disciple and being a Christian? I can take you. The word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. The word disciple is all over the place. I mean, you read the four Gospels, disciple, disciple, he called his disciples, he called the disciples. and it, it, The word disciple was, he was obsessed with the word disciple. But you don't see the word Christian. Jesus never called us Christians. 
But we see the word first showing up in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to take you to the very spot where people were first called Christians. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speaking to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church of Jerusalem, and they, they sent to Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So who first came up with the word Christian? It was the community, the people that were not Christians, decided, oh, these people, they're part of this group, this weird sect, this weird cult, uh, and they always talk about Christ, and they use Christ as the example for how they do everything, and they follow Christ's teachings. The, the, the whole concept of believing in order to get a, something like the gift of salvation was, wasn't something they even understood at all. It was just, oh, those people follow the teachings of Jesus. They were in a culture where people followed teachers or rabbis. You would, you would line up behind your teacher and you would try to practice what your teacher taught. And so we, they kind of remind us of Christ. And, and, and so uh, what did Jesus call them? What did Jesus call his... He called his people disciples. Or they were known as Christ followers. Uh, so uh, what is a disciple? Well... The, the actual word means a learner under training. If you were a, a, mu, a musician, you, you would have a mentor, uh, a music teacher who was your mentor. And you would uh, learn to play the way they played their instrument. You would learn their disciplines that they taught. You would learn their theory of music. I'm going to give you this definition of disciple. Someone who follows another person or another way of life. Who submits himself to the discipline and teaching of that leader or way. So, let's, let's look at this. Now, this is a very interesting idea. This idea that Jesus did not use the word Christian or call us Christians. And that, in fact, he used the word disciple when he talked about those who entered his life and those who accepted who he was. Uh, let's look at the history of the word Christian. I already gave you a little bit of it. it. It shows up actually three times in the Bible. And it means someone associated with Christ. It was first used in Antioch to label people who belonged to this um, Nazarene sect. In fact, you see in Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 24, verse 5, they actually referred to this uh, belonging to this Nazarene sect. 
It said, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. So Christianity, the word Christian was actually a slur. It was actually a slur. It was like, a, it was like uh, calling someone, I can't think of a word that would compare to that, but it's like calling someone a name. Uh, you know, you know uh, uh, when, when, when Stalin wanted to get rid of these um, uh, farmers, uh, he attached the name Kulak to them, so they all became Kulaks. So if you were a Kulak, you was, it was like a slur. And so it, 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 it helped to develop this culture that would kill the Kulaks. And they killed like a million of them in the, when, in the height of the Soviet Union. They killed like a million, million of these uh, farmers because uh, Stalin wanted to collectivize all the farming in, uh, in Russia. And so they got rid of all the Kulaks. And uh, another two million people starved to death because, as it turned out, the people who were good at killing were not very good at farming. So it didn't work out very well. And so it was kind of like that with the Christians. It was a slur uh, to talk about these people and call them Christians. And, but, but they call them that because of the word Christ. They, 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 they worship Christ, so they're, 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 they're little Christ. That's what we'll just look at them as little Christ. Um, the thing is, believing, being a Christian is easy. Uh, you simply believe. You, the price has been paid by Christ on the cross. You re- believe, you receive forgiveness of your sins as a gift of salvation. After that, you can define and redefine Christian just, just almost any way you want of what a Christian is. And uh, you, you've probably tried to talk to someone about being a Christian one time. And they, they said, oh, yeah, my, my, my aunt's a Christian. <laughs> talk, don't tell me about Christians. My uncle's a Christian. Yeah, yeah, those Christians are the ones who killed all those people in the, in the, uh, the Inquisition, the, the Spanish Inquisition. That, that's Christians for you. The Christians, they go in and kill people who don't agree with them and don't believe what they believe. And the, the Crusades, you know, they went in and killed all the Muslims in the Middle East. That, that's a Christian, okay? So you can define Christian almost any way you want to. Uh, until it fits what, what you're compatible with. But the word disciple, the word the Christ follower, you can't, you can't, you don't have to define that. You have to define Christian. You've got to define what a Christian is. But if we look at the history of the word disciple in the Gospels, the term disciple was used to refer to followers of Jesus these were the people who were publicly associating with Jesus before the resurrection. And after the resurrection, they were the people that were following the teachings of Jesus. And they were a community. They loved one another, and they loved Jesus, and they followed Jesus. Something about these people set them apart, and they could never blend in. You, 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 you have to define what being a Christian is, but you don't have to define what being a disciple is. As I said a moment ago, it's, it's easy to say I'm a Christian, but it's not easy to say I'm a Christ follower. Being a Christian won't cost you anything. I said being a Christian won't cost you anything, but being a Christ follower will cost you, and it may cost you a lot.
It costs some people a lot to be a Christ follower, to be a disciple, to be a learner under training, to be a Jesus person. The ones, by the way, the ones that it costs the most made the greatest difference in the world. To follow Christ means to live in a different direction. You know, Jesus came to set up his kingdom on the earth. Jesus could have come and identified with the Pharisees who were running the temple. He could have come and identified with the Roman government, but he did not do either. The Bible says he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He said to his disciples, the kingdom of God is within you. He came inviting people to become a part of the kingdom So the kingdom of God was a contrast society. It was a counterculture. Christ's followers were a countercultural group. They could not blend in with the cultures around them because they were a distinct group who paid a price for following Jesus. In fact, where they were first called Christians, the reason they ended up in Antioch was because of the tremendous persecution that they received for being a Christ follower You will not be persecuted most of the time for being a Christian. You will not be disliked most of the time for being a Christian. But you will be persecuted sometimes. You will be disliked sometimes for following Jesus. Now, The place where we get the disciples' initial directives, one of the best places, not the only, but the place I'm going to land on today is where I've actually been for the last four weeks, and that's been in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him. Now, his disciples were not just the twelve. Sometimes we think, well, those 12 guys, that was just a, that was the name of their club. <laughs> Disciples. No, that was not the name of their club. That's what Jesus called everybody who became a follower. That's what Jesus called everybody who became a learner under training. So Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. The disciples came to him and, began, and he began to teach them. Andy Stanley makes this observation. He says, The Sermon on the Mount was an event that would shape Western values, an event that would shape cultural values and cultural norms. Now, this is so, that is so true. That is so true. We do not even understand, most of us, how much Western civilization owes its very ethos to the teachings of Jesus Christ and the teachings of of the, the teachings of real Christianity and the teachings of discipleship. Because Jesus is getting ready to say some things that would blow their minds when he began to tell them how it was like, what it would be like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is a primer on discipleship, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are. Jesus says stuff like, Give your stuff away. When somebody asks you to give them a little, give them a lot. Jesus said, when someone wants to borrow something from you, 
loan it to them, and don't even ask for it back. Jesus says, someone asks you to go a mile, go two. Jesus said, someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other. In other words, don't always be retaliating against people. Stop retaliating. Jesus said, uh, you know, you can't make things right with God until you make things right with the people around you. Don't, don't, you can't be right with God if you're not right with your family. If you're not right with your brother, don't try to pretend you're right with God. Don't think for a minute you can have peace with God if you're not tr doing all the things you possibly can do to have peace with your family and the people around you. If you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. Uh, hey, hey, Jesus, I, I'm just telling what you said. Okay. He said, uh, you know, he said, stop sinning sexually. You know, he said, uh, he said, uh, stop all the fornication. He didn't say all these exact words, but he, he, he said, you said, well, he didn't really say that. Well, I, I, no, what he really said he said, if you're a guy and you look at a woman sexually, you're sinning. That's what he said. He, he said, don't, don't just don't commit sexual acts that are wrong. He said, don't even be looking at people like that. Jesus, I'm just telling them what you said. <laughs> I'm not telling them it's from me. I would have never said, I would have never thought of this stuff. If I hadn't invented a religion, it would have been a lot easier. <laughs> Don't break your promises for any reason, he said. He said, if you're standing in line at the temple, and, and you've been standing a long time, I mean, you're getting impatient because you want to get, you, want, you love God and all, but you want to get this over with, you know. You've been standing a long time, and all of a sudden you remember that somebody is offended at you, and you were probably a fault. And you probably shouldn't have said what you said and did what you did and acted the way you acted, and you were probably a real jerk. And so i tell you what you do. You get out of line. Leave your gift there, and you go make things right with that person you've offended, and then come back. Don't stay home and, and act all self-righteous because you did that. You come back, and then you offer your sacrifice. He said... Uh, and stop staring at that little speck in your brother's eye. That little problem that they, I think that annoys you and getting on your nerves. Stop staring at that and go take care of that log that's in your eye. And then, then you will be, then you can go back and you can maybe really help your brother improve that area of his life after you straighten out that thing in your life. And you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I want you to, no more. Not in this religion. No more. No more. We're not, we're not getting even with anybody for what they've done to us. We're not going to repay evil for evil. We're going to give love and forgiveness and grace when people sin against us. Does this sound like a religion you ever knew anything about? You ever heard of this religion? <laughs> he said, uh, pray for people who harass you. And persecute you, and that are intentionally trying to make your life worse. Pray for them and bless, bless people who curse you. 
Love your enemies. He said, he said uh, if you don't forgive other people, God won't forgive you. He said, uh, pray for people. He said, when you help other people, when you help other people and, and that are in need, don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. That's what he said. I, Jesus, I just tell him what you said. He said, uh, don't worry about your life. Stop worrying about whether you're going to have enough money or you're going to have enough big enough house or your house is going to be fixed up or not, enough or not. Don't worry, don't worry about your life and whether you have a lot of material stuff. Make God and the kingdom your first priority. Make growing the kingdom of God the most important thing in your life. And then he, then he concludes it. He says... And if you don't put all this stuff into practice, you're a fool. <laughs> Man, Joel Osteen would never preach this sermon. <laughs> and I'm not knocking Joel. He's, I, he's inspired me many times. I, sh I shouldn't have said that, Lord. I'm sorry. I just did it to entertain my audience. <laughs> you forgive me? <laughs> Yeah, you know, anymore things are being live streamed and all. He might even see me say that. I know he's watching. <laughs> no, he said it. Jesus said, if you're, you're the foolish man, doesn't do everything I say to do. That's what he said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blow, and the beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of law. See, see, I think, I think, I think part of the problem is um, we we we're very in tune with uh, salvation as a transaction. We're very familiar with that in the evangelical Christian church here in the West. We're very familiar with that, and it was popularized uh, in, uh, by someone that I deeply adore, by the way, Billy Graham invited all those thousands of people to come down as they're singing just as I am without one plea that the blood was shed for me so it's kind of like uh, we kind of view this thing from merely the standpoint and, and, and I'm not negating it by the way I still believe in personal salvation and I still believe we're saved totally by grace and, and by Christ's shed blood on the cross but, 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 but there's, a, there's another side to this whole thing of, of, of a relationship with God and, and we need to view it more the way the Gospels viewed it, you know, the way, the way the Gospels viewed it and the way Jesus viewed it. He invited people to follow him. And it, it's, not, it's not just like, uh, and we'll get into this more in the weeks to come, but, but it's not just like, you know, it's not just like this thing that you get. It's not just like this thing you get where you're, you're going to get a car, okay, you're going to get a new car. So you go and you go to the dealership and you pick out the car you want. And when you get ready to, to, to talk about the financing, he says, somebody else already paid for this car for you. And you go, wow, am I blessed. So you could, you could take that car and you could put it in your garage and never drive it. 
never talk about it. You don't identify with a car. You don't become a car, a carshan. You know, you don't become an autom- automation. You don't become, you, don't, you have no identity with it. It's just this thing that does something for you. And what I believe Jesus is trying to say to us through his word is, I don't want, I don't want my relationship with you just to, be, just to be a consumer item. I don't want salvation just to be a consumer item, something that you just consume uh, 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 or, or an insurance policy. I, I don't want this to be an object, just a transaction for you. And I think that's the problem that I'm trying to solve is I don't want this just to be a transaction for you. I believe that I believe God is saying to you and to the church today, this is a way of life. That Jesus is a way of life. You're going to say that again. Jesus is not just a transaction for you that, that you get your free gift of salvation, but it's a, he's, he, is, he is urging you and inviting you saying, I don't want you to be so foolish. I want you to be a wise person. And a wise person understands that, that following Jesus is a superior way of life. It's a better way to run your community. It's a better way to run your marriage. It's a better way to run your relationships. It's a better way to run your sexuality. It's a better way to run your finances. The wise man builds his house on the teachings of Jesus. The wise man builds his life on the example of Jesus. The wise woman, the wise person. Joy was in the first service, Joy Johnson, and she kind of pointed that out to me. That's what stood out to her, was the wise part. So I thought I would pass it on. Now, uh, Jesus comes down from the mountain, and the crowd of disciples are following him down the mountain. Right? After he gets done. And the first thing that happens is there's the, this leper who steps up. And he says, Jesus, will you make me clean? And Jesus says, I will. And you just kind of feel the crowd, just how warm they felt to that. And they said, man, this guy, he teaches. And he talks about generosity and love and caring for the downtrodden. And then he does it. We've never seen a man like this. He, he not only teaches beautifully, he also acts it out. He behaves this way. So that was good, you know. And then a Roman centurion walks up to him. And you can see the crowd. You feel, as they, then that, you kind of you sense they all take their breath. Roman centurion, we hate him. Roman centurions were hated. Roman centurions were bad people. They were... They were awful. Roman centurion would kill their own soldiers when they didn't obey. Roman centurions were 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 mean spirited uh, instruments of the state, oppressing the Jews. Poor Jews, the poor Jewish community, the common people were, were pressured by the Pharisees on one side and Roman on the Rome on the other. And the fair, and this centurion represented the oppression, oppression of Rome that they believed their Messiah came to deliver them from the Roman oppression. So they all held their breath as the Roman centurion steps up and said, Jesus, would you heal my servant who's dying? And they're thinking, now. And then they really catch their breath. What's Jesus going to say? 
I'm sure he's going sure to set him straight. I'm sure Jesus is going to say, well, you got a few scores to settle with the people in this crowd before I can do anything for you. And Jesus shocks them and says, sure. Do you want me to come to your house? And, and when they said that, you know that you know they threw up. <laughs> He's going to go to his house? Jesus said, I will come to your house and heal him. What's going on? This is our Messiah. This is the saving gospel that we, that we put our faith in. This is the saving gospel. This is the good news. And the, 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 the centurion said, you know, you don't need to come to my house because I understand authority. And I, I say to one person goes and he goes, another person comes and he goes, and I, I understand how powerful a word of authority is from someone who has authority. And then Jesus really stuck the dagger in their heart. You know what he said? He said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. <laughs> Yikes. Jesus is the real deal. He was authentic. He was love personified. He was wisdom personified. He was afraid of no one. And that's who I want to be. The world has seen a lot of Christians. And a lot of times they're not very impressed. The world hasn't seen a lot of Jesus. And that's what the world needs today. They don't need a lot more Christians running around saying, I got my free gift. I'm not arguing that you got your free gift. Great. Go get your free gift. Go to heaven. In fact, if you go on to heaven, it would probably be good. Get out of the way. Because some of us want to follow Jesus. Some of us not only want to go to heaven, but we want to follow Jesus in our daily lives. We're going to fail a lot. We know it. That's why we need that grace we talk about. We're going to blow it. That's okay. But we're going to, we're, we're going to fail forward. We're going to fail forward. Amen? When I see thousands today across America who are taking the streets to protest in many of our major cities, and one thing is abundantly clear to me. Americans, I believe we're in a, a cultural shift. And that is, Americans are ready for something worth fighting for. They're ready for something worth sacrificing for. They're ready for something worth standing up for, worth being dedicated for, worth being inconvenienced for, worth paying a price for. Americans are hungry for something worth reducing their materialistic lifestyle for in order to make a difference in the world. Oftentimes, their way of going about it is wrong. I don't agree with some of the ideologies that are being represented. An ideology is making an idol out of an idea. So I don't think that's the way we should go, is to become ideologues. 
I don't think that's the way to go. In fact, I think that's why some of you are here today, because you don't want to be an ideologue. You, you want something else, but you have the same craving. You have the same craving for a calling that will call you to live a life with some inconvenience. You're ready for that. You're hungry for that. I really feel that in my heart. You, you, want some, you don't want to just blindly follow an ideology, but you, you're ready for something that will disturb your sleep. You're ready for something that will cost you something. You're ready for something that will really make a difference. And what Jesus represents will make a difference because he was the true revolutionary who brought the revolution of love that will heal the world. He was. And it's not just an ideology, but it's an idea that it's it's not just an ideology, it's a person. It's God in the flesh. It's God in the flesh. And it is a belief, yes, but it's much more than a belief. It's receiving in your life a divine mentor a heavenly coach who is ready to start calling the plays in your life I don't think it's a I don't think it's a matter of so much today and and this is something I guess we will always wrestle with those of us who care about theology will always wrestle with how you define salvation. But if I look at Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, here's the way I deal with it. I set aside the categories of saved and unsaved, going to hell, going to heaven. I set aside those categories, even though I believe they exist. And I feel like it's what Joy said, Steve. It's what Joy pointed out to me. It's a matter of are you going to be a, are you going to be a, are you going to be wise? Listen to me. Are you going to be wise? Or are you going to be foolish? Are you going to be wise? Or are you going to be foolish? If you're going to be foolish, you're just going to want your little salvation plan. Give me my salvation plan. I'll put it in my purse, and I'll, you know, be like it'll be like my driver's license. And you know, every once in a while, somebody wants to see my driver's license. It's like that. Or it will be a living relationship with the creator of the world who knows me and loves me and loves the people around me and wants to show me how to live every day. I think that's the wise way to go. Amen? God bless.